This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast, where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. If you envision yourself climbing up the rung of a ladder, each represents getting higher and higher in, with your emotionality. In this episode, I interview Charlie Peck. She's the author of Improving School Mental Health, a wonderful book with a ton of really actionable strategies. She talks about inclusive environments, thriving school communities, burnout, retention. We discuss nine skills that every educator should have, including relationship reciprocity and social plasticity in order to adapt to some of the students that we have and some of the difficult things that we experience. She also explores the circle of control and mental health first aid, as well as telling some stories about some of the students that she had in her past that made a tremendous difference in her life. She is an absolute delight wonderful energy and just has so much inspiring information to share. Hey, and one more thing. If you're feeling stuck, frustrated, or feeling a little burnt out, or like you just can't quite reach your expansive goals, I want you to check out my new book, From Burnt Out to Fired Up, Reigniting Your Passion for Teaching, available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and just about anywhere you get your books. It's actionable, it's research-based, and it will transform your life and practice. Through my five hours framework, you'll learn to reflect, reframe, refocus your goals, reconnect with those around you, and reveal the truest expression of who you are as an educator and as an individual. Just search Morgan Michael from Burnt Out to Fired Up. That's Morgan Michael, M-O-R-G-A-N-E, from Burnt Out to Fired Up to reserve your very own copy today. You can do the book at your own pace or snag a bunch of copies for a staff room book club. The practices are meant to be shared. And if you're looking for inspiring lessons or daily inspirations for yourself, search Small Act Big Impact in Google for my website and for my Instagram pages. Welcome, Charlie Peck, to Kindsight 101 with me, Morgan Michael. I'm so delighted to talk to you about your amazing new book, Improving School uh, Mental Health. And I know that you have so much to share with us today. I'm just absolutely delighted to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Morgan. You know what? There is so much that uh, you and I have in common. I can't wait to dive into this so that we can just support educators and anybody's who's working within a school environment, especially these days. Absolutely. So I'd like to start by just having you maybe give a little overview. You have so much experience in education, but also in the wellness and social work counseling um, realm. Would you just give a little bit of a background in terms of what your experience is and some of your passion points? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So I've been in education for over 20 years in K through 12, but I spent 18 years teaching high school, which was so eye-opening. And I, my curriculum was about personal relationships and family development and um, all of those things about society that we really need to fix <laughs> and how to do that. So you can imagine that that opened up the world of teenage thinking and experiences to me. They shared a lot with me. They were really struggling. They were struggling so much. And that's why I decided to go into social work. I mean, there's more in between, but that's the gist. And along that path, I became a clinical therapist and I worked with families and teens in crisis. So it was so eye-opening. 
And I just want to help improve the school system because our kids are spending most of their time either at home or in our schools. And so we need to do something collectively about it as adults working with them. I love that. I think that's such an interesting, it's such an interesting trajectory too, because I think you're right. We do have a system that although the individuals within the system really want to help and want to make, you know, a student's life better, sometimes there are things that just feel slightly outside of our realm of expertise or outside of our reach. And it can be really challenging, right, to sort of sit with that kind of in that empathic distress when somebody's having that challenge and not being able to really get there to to help them. So I'd like to start by by maybe just exploring, you know, within the context of COVID-19 having happened and we're still sort of recovering from that. I always say it's kind of like a merge lane. Like we didn't just go back to normal. We're sort of trying to find this new normal and it's merging into that. I think to expect that everyone just kind of goes back to normal, it's not really a fair expectation, nor should we just go back to normal, right? But what are some of the, when you do your speaking and you do your professional development and you do the workshops and things that you do, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing most in schools right now, specifically in the school setting for educators, maybe for leaders, but also for our students? Mm-hmm. Well, let me start with the leaders. Since you mentioned that they feel blamed. They feel mm-hmm. like everything that goes wrong is on their shoulders and they are actually trying so hard to support their staff. But the problem is, is uh, staff are feeling burned out as you know, I mean, that is your, your passion topic. And there's a few reasons for that. So number one, educators are feeling invalidated or unheard and they are so essential to fixing this youth mental health crisis that um, it's time to pay attention. So post pandemic, We have to pay attention to the educators who are working directly with students because 93% of them are reporting that they do want to help, but they feel ill-equipped. And that is what's contributing to their burnout. So not only feeling invalidated and kind of insignificant, Mm -hmm. they are dealing with so many challenging student behaviors and they feel ill-equipped to respond to that. And so they also have this overwhelm as a result. They're busier. We're asking them to do more. A lot of them report that they feel like they have to be a therapist, but they're not therapists mm-hmm. and they don't have the skills, nor do they want those skills. They want basic skills to respond better to them, their, their students and to their own overwhelm. So that's where I come in because that unique lens as, as the teacher versus the therapist, I do believe, and that's what's so exciting to me is I do believe we can't equip them and that's what we're doing but not in a way that it overwhelms them. It's it's like going into PD. And again, I know you understand this, going into a PD session, loving it, but then leaving and not having the energy or the time to roll it out. And that's unacceptable. We don't have time for that these days. So it's those skills that will be effective and they, can, they don't even think twice about it when they leave. They already know how to do it or they can at least practice it. So that's what uh, my interpretation is, is what the whole post-pandemic is. It's we had problems before the pandemic, but yeah. we're unsettling it now. So I know there's a million things we can talk about, but I know that you probably have more questions about a, a different direction or even diving deeper. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So you talk about some, you talk about nine basic skills and I won't ask you to share all of those because I'd like people to buy your book so they can uncover that themselves. But what would you say are maybe like three or four really important skills that every educator needs to have um, or school, you know, needs to have in order to thrive? I love, I love that word thrive, not just survive, but thrive. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me start with the first two that so many people need. I mean, this is what we're doing. So the very first one is about relationship reciprocity. Mm. And it's different than the traditional way you think about relationship reciprocity. We, we traditionally think it's about mutual sharing of respect. But we all know that we get overwhelmed because not everyone respects what we need or knows what we need and adheres to that, even when we ask for it. So relationship reciprocity is about knowing your own limits. And I, I teach about how your body responds when you've reached your limits, which I kind of take away the foo-foo factor that so many educators roll their eyes at. Um, I have the, the eye rolling test there too, but mm -hmm. it's knowing your limits and know how, knowing how to figure out when you've reached them and then respecting your own limits because nobody will respect them like you will. And right. so we're giving permission to do that and strategies around that. The second skill that we're, we're working a lot with educators, it's called social plasticity. So if you think of those two words, social and plasticity together, it's about being malleable to other people who challenge us. One of the questions we ask in a session is, who is challenging you the most right now? And we say, you can only choose one person. <laughs> 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 only one, only one. Yeah. And so it's about being able to respond effectively to them by yeah. understanding that there's more to their story. So Love. yeah, and any, any social worker hearing me knows that I have a trauma background like they do because- we have to insert the trauma lens in there, but again, without making it one of those words that's overused, like resiliency and blended learning and all these things. So it's um, it, everything infuses into everyday practice. So I'll just stick with those two and we can take it wherever you'd like to get from here. I love that. So what would you say for relationship reciprocity? I love that because it's not just about the other person. It's also about understanding your own boundaries and boundaries can be really challenging, but I know Adam Grant, you probably know this. Adam Grant is a social psychologist and he did some studies and found out that there were different types of people, givers and takers, and then the matchers. And he said the most successful people in the world are givers. And then on the flip side, the least successful people, specifically in the corporate world, but I would argue probably in education as well, are the yes. givers. And the major difference was the boundary setting or the lack thereof. And so when it comes to that, I love that idea of knowing your own limits. When it comes to that, what are some helpful frames or some helpful strategies or approaches that those kind of boundary less givers can keep in their head as they're, you know, being asked to do different things or they're feeling the pressure to show up and, you know, to change their bulletin boards every week or, you know, these kinds of things where does it actually yes. matter? Are there things that we can keep in mind just so that even if we don't practice boundary setting often, like it, it can seem less strange to us? Yes. I mean, yeah. there's so much to this. So first of all, we speak in terms of limits because mm -hmm. limits, you, there's a measurement to that. You know that you just, you've reached it. You're there, you're done. And here's how we know. And so when, when we say to respect those boundaries, that, I mean, we've heard this a million times, but learning to say no and feeling okay about it is truly essential. Even though we say it over and over, people aren't actually adhering to that when they mm -hmm. know they're right. They know they've reached a limit and they're still trying to do more. First of all, we know so much more about the brain and the body connection, but the brain and how it processes information. We do not multitask. There's not a gender difference. Yes, women seem like they can do more. And there, mm -hmm. there's a whole other thing there um, because there's some research supporting some of that. But what I will say is we all can't drive and text at the same time. We know that. Mm 
-hmm. In fact, there's evidence to show um, if you're changing the radio station, you have two seconds, two seconds. And after two seconds, you're done. You cannot concentrate more than two seconds on that. And the reason I'm saying that is because we have to realize that we've got to give people attention, including ourselves, but one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So anytime we think of all the have tos around us, we are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And the worst part to that is getting stuck there, mm-hmm. getting stuck there. So how we talk to ourselves is actually another skill that we use because these are all interchangeable. These are all, these all work together. So sometimes we need to bring in a new skill. So we're talking about relationship reciprocity and reaching a limit. Uh, we got to think of the story spiral we're telling mm-hmm. ourselves. We're we're saying, you know, the, all the shoulds we have. And we say, well, think about it. Change that word should to could. It's mm-hmm. so very simple, but it's got to be so that we remember it. Mm-hmm. So all of these little tactics of changing should to could gives us choice and empowers us. By the way, we can do that with students. And by the way, leaders can do that with staff. So right. again, lots there. There's, yes. lots, there's lots there. There is so much. And I think I think uh, about the idea of reframing those like maladaptive stories or narratives and giving yourself back the control or that power is so important. And I think telling yourself or urging yourself to use different language certainly helps with that. Definitely. When it comes to social plasticity, I, I heard somebody say this, uh, this concept about social fitness as well. And that idea that like we, we can't expect ourselves, especially coming out of the pandemic, to just remember how to be social or how to be adaptive to other people, how to be malleable, as you said. And so it is kind of a practice and understanding that it's not you either have it or you don't. It's a practice ongoing. It's something that we have to sort of challenge ourselves to look at in a different way. So if you do have a challenging student or a parent, for example, or if you're a leader and there is um, you know, a colleague or an employee who is consistently, for example, challenging you, um, what are some ways, you know, that that you might reframe some of those stories or or you might be more adaptive to them in spite of the fact that maybe they drive you a little crazy. <laughs> they sure do. And it's okay yeah. to acknowledge that. Uh, again, it's how you're responding that you've reached your limit with them. There's yeah. a couple of things we do. Number one is using the ladder of conflict. It's a visual that we created. And I use these with kids in crisis and it can work in seconds. Right. So you envision yourself climbing up the rung of a ladder. Each represents getting higher and higher in, with your emotionality. So you might be sitting in discomfort on that first rung, which then moves to irritability and then agitation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And eventually rage. And some kids and adults, by the way, based on our genetic makeup and epigenetics and our environment, we might go right to the top to rage. But I right. do say, listen, when we insert these kinds of easy tools into our lives and we envision ourselves climbing that ladder, we can pause, Mm. notice that we're there. And then whatever works to calm your brain or or yourself, like there's lots of tools. We do rapid resets Um, like this. I I have people and I know if people can't, um, if they can't see me, I'll explain it. It's a really simple technique. I teach kids and adults. You can do it under the table so no one sees you, or you can do it when you're feeling really stressed. You can pinch your, the ends of your fingers or you can touch your fingers down to your thumb over and over until you calm down. Many times we need to do it very slow. Notice my voice Mm -hmm. slows down too. And any adult working with kids needs to only pay attention to very simple things in that moment, including your voice, Mm -hmm. your stance, 
and nothing major, right? And so if you can just visualize that, that's huge. The other thing we talk about is that circle of control. Well, what is within yeah. our circle of control and what's outside of it? So we, we in workshops, we work to understand that. So that's kind of another tool we use because we know we're not changing the other person, but we hear this, but we don't really adhere to it as much yeah. as we need to, but it will it will help. And I'll tell one more thing because I know that you're really, you love those strategies. To I share do. With I love them. Yeah. 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 They're so helpful. Um, one of them is that our brains will make assumptions. We all yes. do it. We yes. all have assumptions. The problem is, is it leads to unfair judgment of other people. Mm. And that's where we need to practice that social plasticity to overcome that. Right. And so one of the strategies we use is catch yourself making the assumption, like catch mm -hmm. yourself. Notice again, we teach you how to notice that's a skill. Um, but once you do notice, then we tell you to reframe that into what, like there's more to their story. Yeah. So that assumption now changes into whatever assumption it was like, they're bad, they're rude, they're disrespectful mm -hmm. is there's more to their story. So that's the new assumption. So that's there's more so to it. Good. That's so it. good. I've got, I want to talk more about the circle of control, but, uh, I think about actually someone I know who, uh, has ADHD and this summer she was, she had caught or someone had caught a fish for her and she was, um, she had the fish in the bucket and she just wanted to hold that fish, be with the fish <laughs> and people were calling her name, stop, stop, stop. And she just wasn't paying attention. And it seemed like she was choosing not to. And then finally, someone kind of stood in front of her, took her hands gently and sort of got the eye contact, you know, as we do with, you know, kids who hyper-focus. And she sort of went, wait, what? And looked up. She had been so hyper-focused on this fish that she was so, you know, excited and passionate about. She couldn't hear. It's like she closed the world out. But in that respect, the judgment from others was she's rude. She's not listening. She's a bad kid or any of these things. Right. And so I, I love that idea of stopping yourself and acknowledging as you're making that judgment, you know, it's, it's so, I mean, it's simple, but not easy. It's one of those things that, you know, you kind of have to draw your attention to and continue practicing. I love that. So thank mm -hmm. you for that. Um, mm -hmm. Can you describe, because not everybody will know what that circle of control is. Can you describe kind of what that is and kind of how they, the concentric circles work and how that helps us? Mm -hmm. Again, it's got to be simple. So we remember, so we kept yes. it very simple. Nice. We literally draw a circle and whatever's inside of that is things that we can control, like our thoughts. Um, I will loosely say feelings, but we can base on our thoughts that affects our feelings. So once yeah. we notice that we have that feeling, we can do certain things to um, adapt those feelings. Yeah. Um, so our response to people, our, our language, right? Our, our body movements, lots of things, our next choice. Those are all the things we can control in our environment. Now, when someone's freaking out on us, um, there are things that we cannot control. And so if you if you literally look outside of what that circle is, it's mm -hmm. their thoughts, mm -hmm. their reactions, their language, their movement, mm -hmm. the, the, the pitch of their voice, the, the height of their movement. We call them big emotions and big movements. Mm -hmm. So you are not going to make them do what you're hoping they will do, mm -hmm. but you can influence and advocate mm -hmm. and manage yourself in that moment that can have a good outcome or not yeah. on what they do. Right. So it's just sometimes accepting that 
makes us feel way more in control because we just feel so out of control. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes us feel overwhelmed and burned out as you know. Yes. And that goes for, you know, students or for, for employees or teachers as well. I think that idea, it, it does sort of, it does sort of help you to focus in on, on smaller locus of control, right? I think as opposed to trying to change your entire environment or change people, which certainly we can't do. So mm-hmm. I think, I think that's really helpful. Thank you for that. I love that you've started this initiative, Thriving School Community. Tell me more about that. Tell me about some of the things that you're doing in your initiatives. You've got so much out there, like you're doing, you've got a podcast, you've written this beautiful book. Tell us more about that. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't say any more without bringing in Dr. Cameron Caswell to this because she Mm -hmm. and I met up and wrote the book together. We had similar concerns and ideas. So we decided to put it in a book after people were asking for more information. Mm -hmm. And so we go and speak at conferences, sharing this information in the skills and school districts will invite us in to partner with them. It's important that it's a partnership. This is something Mm -hmm. that we're doing and creating together and looking at what they already have in place. That's the difference is what is it that you already have in place? Well, there's already rock star people in your buildings who care about kids. They yes. do care about kids. Yes. They do. And they want to be better equipped. So there's, right. there's a lot of buy-in uh, with the language you use. And then we need to ask them for what they need. We mm-hmm. need to ask them what they need. And so the initiative is, let's hear the, the teacher voice. I do advocate a lot for teachers because I do believe they're an essential part mm-hmm. of the mental health team that yes. I never was a part of until... Mm-hmm. I started doing more leadership with mental health and then became a social worker in the school system. Right. Um, and I thought that was unfortunate because there's a lot of people already positioned well. Yes. So another initiative is to uh, infuse these skills into everyday practice instead of having major overhauls that we don't have time for or mm-hmm. energy to do. Yes. So again, those are just a few that what we're doing, um, but right. speaking and giving keynotes to say, listen, yes. there is hope. There yes. is a way that we can do it. And it starts with us. I love that. I think that's wonderful. Can you, can you talk a little bit about retention? I know that especially I'm in Canada and so retention is perhaps less of a concern, but I will say it's, it's staffing is challenging here too. But when I travel to the U S and I do, you know, I speak, you know, in the Midwest or down South, I find that, you know, retention is tricky that sometimes in the underserved communities, even in Canada, actually, as well, uh, we have educators who may or may not even have their their education degrees because that's that's where we're at. Um, what is your advice to principals or to leaders, to districts when it comes to retaining teachers? Mm-hmm. I will definitely say we need to listen to them. Mm-hmm. We need to ask them what they need to do their job better. Because they actually want to do their job better. And if you can help them get what they need, sometimes it's so simple. So I'll quickly tell you, we worked with an administrator who got a budget and it was an elementary. And so you can understand this. I know you're in the primary level. Yes. And they, the, the administrator kept hearing their staff complain about how many students kept losing their pencils. <laughs> so it happens all the time. Simple things. Yeah. Simple, simple. But there was that complaint. And so at the next staff meeting, this administrator had ordered a bunch of, of pencils for each each classroom. And, mm-hmm. and she was expecting that, wow, this was, you know, they're going to be happy about this. They were not. There's a lot of mm-hmm. moaning and groaning about it. Mm-hmm. And here's why. When we talked to the teachers, they said, well, I already spent my own money on more pencils. So that didn't actually help me. It wasn't what I needed. I would have benefited from having something else. Right. Um, or I wish she would have asked us 
because mm -hmm. it just, it's another one of those, um, the gaps that we have to fill with the communication yeah. piece. Yeah. Their intention is great. I mean, that intention truly was great and leaders are trying very hard, but there is a common disconnect on the communication piece. Right. And there's, um, let me tell you really quick about that. Do we yeah. have a time? Oh, for we have time. Yes. Oh, please do. Yeah. No, this is great. Well, cause this is a big problem other than even feeling like I couldn't have a voice as a teacher mm -hmm. um, at, the, at the table for mental health for my students, even though I taught about it and, and knew a lot about it and was, had a lot of skills in that area. I had a student early on in my teaching career and we'll call her Madison. Mm -hmm. And she was combative. She had, I had attendance issues with her. She would get up out of my class and leave mm. when turning her work in and, and all of that. And so um, I, I talked to her about it one day when she left my class and she just kind of blew me off and left class quickly. And I got called to the principal's office for it. Mm. And the principal essentially said to me, just let her do that. Mm. And I thought, I, I mean, I felt totally dismissed. It was, right. I, I did not like it. The rest of that semester was not great. I didn't, no. I didn't, I didn't. I had a lot of animosity towards her. Sure. I didn't like that. And I felt invalidated as yes. the authority figure. Yes, of course. So we'll fast forward to the end of the semester. And I didn't like how I felt. So the next semester, I wanted to make amends with her. So I went to our school counselor, who was a friend of mine. And I said, can you give me her schedule? Because I'd like to go find her and just say, I'm sorry. Just make mm -hmm. this better. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, Madison passed away. Oh, gosh. Oh. And Madison had been sitting in our classroom with a terminal illness the whole time. What? And had I known, I mean, oh. if I only knew Morgan, oh. I would have made us like such a positive experience for her for that short time yeah. she had left. And you can imagine the kind of guilt oh. I carried, like, a, oh. like we educators do. We carry this home because we care about kids. And here's what I learned is that kids are sitting in our classrooms all the time with some kind of ailment, something they're struggling with. And we may never know what it is, even if it's a small struggle or a big struggle. Sometimes it just doesn't show up the way you would expect it to. Mm -hmm. And so we have to create that positive experience for all of them, yeah. for all of them. And I would say leaders should have that same outlook with their staff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that with me. I got immediate chills like that. Just, oh, it's heartbreaking. And I think, you know, with stories similar to that, had you known, had you known you would have, you know, and it's hard to understand sometimes why our students act the way that they do. And some of those hidden reasons like trauma, or even some of the mental health things that are existing because of genetics or whatever it is. Um, it is just so incredibly heartbreaking, uh, in a similar vein, I think, you know, when we see those students who are struggling and we call out for help, you know, from the team and that's not, um, you know, we don't get that, that, that help. It can be very, very, uh, stressful, like you said, and, and quite heartbreaking. So I think, um, yeah, I think the communication piece is really important. I think teachers should be looped in when it comes to some of the struggles that their students are having. And I think, like you said, validated in terms of, of their experience and their skill set, because many of us do have an existing skill set that perhaps we don't have degrees yes. for, but that right. that is sort of intrinsic. We went into this profession certainly not for the money or the vacation, right? Most of yeah. us go in because we yeah. love kids and we want to make a difference. And I think being able to have all the tools 
at our fingertips, um, or at least the information is, is really big. Can you, and and can I say something about that too, because it is such an important point um, that you bring up. So what's happening, what I'm seeing in education now is they are recognizing that they need to equip their teachers. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're giving them the mental health first aid, which I absolutely think is important. I'm not, I think that's great. The problem is, is that we're still not equipping them for prevention. Mm-hmm. We're not equipping them to set up a better system in the first yes. place. It's right. still reactive. So we need to right. move out of that reactivity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you had talked about um, the SOS skills. So sort of being able to maybe identify and respond to kids who are in crisis. And this is a topic that can be quite uh, triggering or difficult for people, but you know, this isn't serious issue. And I think as as students are struggling with some of those mental health issues, whether they are, you know, depression and anxiety and and a variety of other mental health uh, concerns, sometimes at the pinnacle of that is that suicide ideation or 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 actually, you know, um, experimenting with that. And what would you say to educators? And I would say this is probably more poignant and relevant for middle school to high school and and probably university. We do have some university. Yes. Um, you know, ed- educators or professors as well who listen, what would you say um, we need to keep in mind when we have students who are in in that frame of, of mind? Mm-hmm. So I would first say that it's important to understand what that might look like or sound like, or mm-hmm. what it doesn't look like or sound like. So right. one of the, my students who were the perfectionist students, I worried about them the most with suicidality, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we can all understand because they put so much pressure on themselves and society has put a lot of pressure on them to constantly keep that up. And so those mm-hmm. are students who I checked in a lot on. So I would I would suggest just being able to feel comfortable asking the question, are you thinking suicide? We're mm-hmm. so afraid to allow other teachers and educators in the building or adults to ask that question of kids. Right. But we need to give permission to do that because right. I think we will have a lot. Um, we'll have a better discussion around it. I also do think we need to be cautious about how we talk about suicide with kids. So a little bit of training around that is important, but listen, I don't know if you know who Kevin Hines is, but I got the pleasure of interviewing him. He's the guy who jumped off the golden gate bridge and lived to tell about it. Mm. And one of the things that was so compelling to me is that he said on his way to the bridge, if somebody would have just asked him if he was okay or reached out to him, he wouldn't have jumped. Wow. And I really, that emulates, it parallels what's going on, I think, with our kids. Yes. But the thing is, is it's not that people are heartless. It's that people don't know what to do. And when we don't know what to do, we often just do nothing. Yes. Or we try to do the same things that just weren't working before. Yes. Right. So even just the simple question of, are you okay? Or checking in when you're like, oh, there's something off here, like trusting your gut and actually going and and speaking to them. And then if you do suspect to actually ask the question, are you thinking suicide? I think that's huge. You know, it's not, again, it's not so big that it's impossible. It's just the little things that we need to, to sort of know how to handle it. Right. Um, I know even with grief, sometimes that happens, right? I interviewed someone who lost her her child and she said it was almost like a vacuum. Like everyone around me was there for about a week and a half and then people just fell off the face of the earth because they didn't know what to say and they didn't want right. to bring it up. And she's like, well, this is on my mind 
all the time. So please do bring it up. It's just an uncomfortable situation. And we're so yeah. polite, right? We don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, that that is, it's just so hard being alone with those big feelings, right? So mm -hmm. I think, yeah. I think just remembering that even asking the questions, even if you get met with sort of a a grumpy face or a turned shoulder or someone ignores you, it's better than having them be alone, you know, at the end of the day. It so, is. It yeah. is. And nobody, and that's the key. Like nobody needs to be alone. And if you don't yes. know what to do, that's why protocols in schools are essential. I mean, we know what yes. to do when there's a fire drill. That's right. Earthquake, right. Yes. Um, but we don't know what to do when it gets going, you know, there's a lot we can talk about with that, but um, yeah. we just, it's a, it's okay to talk about this, but also yes. if you do ask the question, what do I do if they say yes? Well, you right. don't have to deal with that yourself. That's right. You don't need to take that on. That's right. right. I love that. I think that's so important. Um, my last sort of question before we just zip to the, I sort of do a rapid set at the end. Um, talk about empathic listening. Cause I think that's, that's very relevant to this conversation. What are some of the, the things that we do I mean, obviously when we have someone in crisis, we want to engage with, with this type of listening, but it's also helpful just for an everyday conversation. Or if you're just, you know, interacting mm -hmm. with your family or, or a new, a new friend or just existing friends, whatever it is. Um, can you talk about what empathic listening is and sort mm -hmm. of give, give people some, some ideas on, on how to do that? Yeah, yeah. It can be the difference between that kid jumping and not. Right. Exactly. It really can. And the problem is, is we've been taught about active listening our whole lives. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things you have to remember that it becomes overwhelming that when you're trying to use something like active listening, you're actually not being as genuine as you could be. Mm -hmm. And that other person might pick up on that or it's, it's crossed um, messaging. Yeah. Okay. What your intention is. And so yeah. we ask people to just say, listen, just show up genuinely with curiosity to figure out how that other person truly is doing or what they're trying to convey. So don't worry too much about anything else except showing up with genuine curiosity about them. Love that. Right. Because there's too many things to remember to do otherwise. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a little bit more to it, but that's the first thing we always say is mm -hmm. if you show up genuine and you get something wrong, mm -hmm. they're still going to soften and be willing to open up the trust for you. And that's what we ultimately want to do in our schools is we have to establish trust. That's with every single person there. So instead of going into it, like, um, you know, again, in tandem, using yes. empathetic listening in tandem with that social plasticity, it's powerful. So yeah. you not only go in to think about what, what's going on with them. I want to validate their feeling or their experience right now, not yes. mine, their yes. experience. It's totally about them. Empathetic listening has nothing to do with me. It has yes. to do with completely you, but also what am I missing? So you might use a question that we say with social plasticity and say, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not quite getting it. What am I missing? Yeah. So now you're, you're using two skills that are just so darn simple, yeah. but creating that safe, secure learning environment for kids and adults that we work with. I love that. I think that's so good. And curiosity, isn't that everything? I think when it comes to creativity, when it comes to building deep connections with people, when it comes to finding your own passion or your own, you know, purpose, all of it kind of comes down to that bolstering that sense of curiosity. So thank you for that. Okay. When it comes to what lights you up, Charlie, what are a few podcasts or shows or 
maybe books that you're reading um, right now that kind of inspire you, or even just an author? Is there someone or something that's really um, inspiring you right now or that's on your mind that that uh, lights you up? It can be academic or it can be totally floofy. I don't mind. <laughs> Gosh, that's so hard because I I talk to people every day in education who send me a book or talk to me about another edge of of leadership. I'll tell you, Jimmy Casas, and yes. he's actually our book publisher, so I, I owe him a lot anyway, but he always talks about culturizing and it's mm. it's so invigorating. It's so invigorating. And then uh, recalibrating, right? And, mm-hmm. and culture really is the essence of how we all are getting through life. If you think about the culture that's established around you and the beliefs that people either get just so stuck in or open yes. their mind to. So it's I listen to him a lot and I I love that recalibrating, like you got to know when to shift in and out of of things that are working or aren't working. And and again, there's much more to it, but I would, that's the first thing that always comes to my mind in recent times. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I absolutely love what he stands for. And I've had him on the podcast a couple of times and he's always a great guest, super, super fun and very inspiring. Like I always come away feeling very um, fired up and excited. So that's great. Thank you. He does have a great energy, doesn't he? He does. When it comes to, I mean, my podcast is truly about kindness and about, you know, honoring each individual. What do you, how do you define sort of kindness? How do you define that? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's a good question. It's it's just genuinely caring about another person and understanding that we need to humanize them. Mm-hmm. They're sifting through all the junk that kind of swirls in our head about them. Um, and even about ourselves, like kindness to ourselves is super, super important. Mm-hmm. So trying to get away of, like I talk about it in terms of decluttering, decluttering mm-hmm. that negative energy, decluttering people, decl- right? Decluttering space. Yeah. So that's what kindness is, is understanding. Again, it goes back to the limit. Yeah. And just genuinely looking at somebody like, we're all just trying to get through this life yeah. in a happy way. So just I love that, that. Genuine take. Yeah. Yeah. I love that concept of decluttering, like in terms <laughs> of negative energy. That's really good. It's huge. Um, and then finally, what is something that you're excited about right now? Yeah. I've been so grateful to be able to have the opportunity to speak across the country and do professional mm-hmm. development with school districts. I mean, I've gone to Alaska and California and North Carolina, Virginia, and Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all over. And I'm super excited to be able to have that opportunity to share that message of hope. Hope underlies every single thing we talked Mm -hmm. about today, everything. And I do believe in the power of that hope that we have without sounding foo-foo because it's there. I've experienced Mm -hmm. it myself and it's there. So that's what I'm grateful and excited about today. Love that. And I think, I mean, it is, it is kind of pie in the sky stuff, but this is the, the positive energy. And I think so much of it is is sort of, are we pouring ourselves into what we do or do we feel excited? And I think there's, there's sort of a reciprocal element to that. You know, you get what you put, you put in, right. That comes back to you. It comes back to your environment. So, um, I think there's something really powerful about that. Listen, Charlie, I just want to say thank you so much for jumping on this podcast with me. It's been absolutely delightful. It's been fun, really, uh, helpful. And I think really, um, educational too. Like I think that you, you offered so many tangible skills, which I always really appreciate. Where can people find you if they wanted to learn more about your book or more about you and your speaking and all the things that you do? 
Yeah, I mean, they can just go to thrivingeducator.org and all of my information is there. So they can just check it out. And we do have a book study. I think you do that yes. too, don't you? You provide yes. that? Yeah. That's great. So many people want that and it's totally yes. free, right? Yes. You do exactly. that too. Yeah, I did it. I did a series of of journal reflections and things that go that coincide with the book. And then I also did a podcast series for each of the chapters, which was fun. So right. just, just kind of offering different strategies, but yeah, you have, I actually looked, I downloaded your book study. It's wonderful, really, nice. really good. So super helpful. And I love that it has it. Um, basically you have, you have a, sort of a book study format all ready to go. So anybody could pick it up and could run a meeting and it would be super simple. So I just, I love that you offer that and all you have to do is sign up. So that's great. Yeah. And, yeah. and I forgot about the one last thing and I do want to share Yes, because please it's, do. it's free professional development yes. and mental health. I mean, my yes. goodness. So we're putting on a virtual summit on right. August 29th and 30th okay. and um, anybody can join, but there's 12 live speakers. It's completely wow. live. It's from five to 9 PM Eastern standard time, because we do work with people on the West coast, such okay. as yourself. Yep. And so it's, it's later on the Eastern side, but, right. um, each speaker will also have a freebie to give to people and we have giveaways. Oh, nice. So people right. who attend also get a certificate. A lot of people like that for their portfolio. So if anybody would like to um, check that out, they can actually go to thriving school thrivingschool.org. That's more about our program. And there's just a button at the top to register for free and share it out with other educators and your whole staff. Awesome. Districts are loving this because it's free PT. For I know help. that's so good. No, I think yeah. that's fantastic. And a lot of the districts are doing their pro D around that time anyway. So that really works well. I will be sure to share that in the show notes for sure. Charlie thank Pack, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been absolutely wonderful. And I feel really inspired and excited. So thank you for bringing your wonderful energy to my podcast. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate the opportunity. It was great. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.